This episode of Wrestling Changed My Life is brought to you by Spartan Combat. They're hosting a national tournament May 21st through the 23rd in Jacksonville, Florida. Register now at SpartanCombat.com. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's, it's 5% of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort. It humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back my time, I spent wrestling. If it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. You're listening to the Wrestling Changed My Life podcast presented by Spartan Combat. This is your host, Ryan Warner. Thanks for tuning in, folks. My guest today is Woody Woodburn, a two-time All-American, once for Cal State Bakersfield, another for Oklahoma State. He's since gone on to coach high school wrestling in Oklahoma for over 27 years, and he's also been a staple at the J-Rob camps as an instructor there. Really enjoyed this conversation. Woody is a lot of fun, and you're going to see that right away. Fan of the Week goes to Robin Lynette out of Cedar Rapids, Iowa. That's L-Y-N-O-T-T. Thank you so much for the support. Greatly appreciate it. And folks, that's it. Let's get to the interview with Woody Woodburn. Peace! I got to start with this one. 1986, how in the hell did Oklahoma State pull off a third-place finish at the Nationals as a team? Because I know that year you guys were ranked in the 10 spot. Um... You were up at 126, went down to 118. Corey got moved around a little bit. Talk about the, the team of 1986 and, and how you guys managed to pull off a trophy at the national tournament. Well, we started off. <laughs> we started off with a loss to OU. Then we lost, we lost it. Northern Iowa. Then, we, then I mean, we, we were like, we went to Clarion. We lost Clarion, lost to Penn State. I mean, we were like 0-4. We were, we were. We were, to say the least, we were struggling. And uh, Leo Bailey and Luke Scove and myself, um, Vince Silva, Mark Van Tyne, Tom Erickson, all of us just kind of came together and we sh- and we had a guy named, uh, oh, I forget his name, but he came over from with uh, Tom Erickson. But we, uh, we just kind of came together. Some things fell together, um, the right places. Leo, you know, we ended up with seven All-Americans. You know, the, the lowest finish was, I believe, seventh. Mm-hmm. Everywhere from a runner-up to seventh place. So, I mean, I think, I think the, the team just started to jive together. And uh, we brought in Gary Keck as one of our assistants at the time. And he brought in that Iowa style and that mentality because he had been training at the Hawkeye Club. Mm-hmm. And we uh, – 
I think there was just some passion that, that was born and we got on a roll. And I think, I think it was just kind of like the Minnesota, the 10, we just got on a roll. And like, even late into the year, I was looking at an old article today. You guys lost to Iowa state and you were battling Billy Kelly up at 126. Um, but like Corey lost that duel, you end up losing that match. And like Iowa state, kind of you know won that duel but then I'm like shit look at the nationals again third place as a team and you know Joe C was kind of in the hot seat because everyone loved Chesbro and he was coming in as this outsider and so would you say you guys were pulling together for him or for yourselves as much as anything I think we were just being selfish and we decided that we didn't want this and, and uh you know we had our ins and outs with Joe and there were some faithfuls of Tommy and and we just, I think we just became selfish and, and right things clicked. We got, and we started backing each other and we were at each other's throats most of the year. And we just decided to come together. And to this day, we are probably one of the closest teams I've ever had, uh, had the honor to be a part of. Wow. Why did, why did you go down to 118 and what happened to Corey at the end of that year? I was already, I came in as a 118 okay. pounder. I wasn't, I didn't come in as a 26 pounder. But we didn't have anybody at 26. And so, and who we did have, um, he wasn't doing his job. So Corey and I battled back and forth. I'd go in at 18 sometimes, he'd go in at 18. And then came down to a ranking match. I won the spot. I ended up going to nationals at 118. He had, he had to step up and go 126. So, and then my next year, Kendall came into the picture and they tried to make me a 126 pounder and put Corey in at 118. But then again, I wasn't a 26 pounder. I believed in my more 118. So I went back down again, but um, injury took its, took its toll on me at the end of the year. Man, how, how incredible is it that John wasn't persuaded into coming out of red shirt, knowing that you guys were struggling like that. And the 126 pounder wasn't getting it done. I know John ended up going up to 34 later in his career, but was there pressure for him to come out of that red shirt? There was talk about it. I mean, there was discussion. Um, I had heard in the rumbles, but as far as I think, I think you have to understand, John did what John wanted to do. And John said, I don't want to come out of red shirt. And basically John didn't come out of red shirt. <laughs> it's just, just the way it is. Man. What was the, uh, what was the dynamic in the room like that year? Who was running the practices and who was kind of like, like the main guy who all the guys gravitated towards. You mentioned Coach Keck, but was there anyone else in there? Well, Byron would come around, and uh, Coach Chesborough always sat in, in his famous chair right there between the showers in the dungeon. And he and Tommy just – or Tommy, excuse me. Uh, Joe just let Tommy sit, sit there, and he would say things to different guys. And then Keck came in, and then you'd have Mike Sheets, and you'd have Kenny Monday coming in. And so, I mean, it was a who's who – and, and Joe is always, and I've always referred to Joe C as this, he's in a baseball, in what we call baseball, he's a player's coach. And he was one of, he was a wrestler's coach because he let us do our own thing. He didn't say, okay, this is the style you're going to wrestle and I'm going to force this on you. And I had been with him since Bakersfield. Oh, really? So, uh, yes, I, I, my, I was recruited to, Oklahoma, to Cal State Bakersfield. I spent three years at Cal State Bakersfield before I transferred to um, So OSU. were you an Oklahoma high school guy? No, I was Cal. I was, I was born and raised in Southern California. And when I was a sophomore, I moved to Oregon. I won two state titles in Oregon, 
And that's a whole nother story in itself. But then I got recruited to Cal State Bakersfield. I spent two and a half years in the room with Joe Gonzalez, Danny Questas, Adam Questas, Tim Vanny, John Azevedo, Jesse Reyes. I couldn't buy a takedown to save my life. Dude, those guys were Joe Gonzalez and uh, and um, Azevedo. I mean, those guys are two of the two of the better lightweights of that era. I mean, to, to this day, to this day, Gonzo, he's my mentor, and he refers to me as his mijo, which in yeah. Spanish is my boy, and. He he sat actually at the NCAA's in '96, my junior year. He sat in my corner from the second match on all the way through till I wrestled for fifth and sixth. Joe Joe he was at Arizona. Gonzo was at Arizona State, and Joe said, "You know him better than anybody." And he let Joe he let Gonzo sit with me from then on in every one of my matches after the second match. That's why Joe C is so unique. Who would do that? Who would give up that? Like he didn't have. An ego in that sense. And no, he, you know, Gary Keck was in the corner and Joe and Joe Gonzalez and they, they coached <laughs> through. Could you imagine that happening now? Hell, I, you know, there's some coaches out there that I believe would let it get but done. But other teams though? Like, I mean, it just seems so weird to me. That's crazy. Huh. I mean, you know, because Zeke Jones wasn't in the picture yet. I think he was redshirting. And so, uh, you know, Joe had a, Gonzo had a connection with me and, I don't know if I said something to Josie or if Gonzo said something to Josie, but somehow it just worked out where Gonzo sat in my corner for the, from my second match on all the way through till I wrestled, like I said, for fifth and sixth. Wow. What was it about Azevedo that made him so good? He was a master of the sport. You know, Gonzo was good on his feet. So was, jo so was John Azevedo, but you know, they just, he was so slick. You just couldn't, you know, I, I went to Japan and trained for three months. I got there through Gonzo, and I wrestled with some of the best in the world, two-time Olympic champions. And I was coming in as a World Cup medalist, as an All-American. I felt like I had never even wrestled before. And that's what was – when you wrestled Azevedo, it was like he, he just made you feel like you were stupid. Wow. Flick. You know, Gonzo, <laughs> to this day, I, in all the years I practiced with Gonzo, I've competed in, in competition against him. I've scored one takedown in my whole life against him. <laughs> and and he, he tells me all the time, and because he would like to rub it in my face, he goes, only reason you scored that takedown is because I was beating you 12-1, and I, gave, I just gave you that takedown. Oh, Gonzo is one of those guys, I've had him on the show, the fact that he went through high school with the injuries he did because his family couldn't afford the medical bills um, and then almost didn't even wrestle in college is pretty incredible. I mean, and he pioneered that trip to Japan. He went over there in like 79, 77 and lived uh, with the Japanese for, uh, for at least a couple of weeks. Yeah. And I went over there for three months. Wow. And Tell I me about that. Like what was the, uh, what was the day in the life like when you were over there? Well, I you know, I, I got, I got the connection through Gonzo. Tomiyama was there, and to, uh, and I just kind of found a, a niche. And Obata was over there, who we had Oklahoma State ties with. And I trained for three months there, and I was in, I was stuck in the weight class between 52 kilos, which is 114 and a half, or 48 kilos, which is 105 and a half. It was kind of small for 14, but I was too big for five. Well, I went over there and I trained and I, I put my heart into it and I liked it. I mean, I kind of 
you know, I enjoyed it to a point where I wanted to go back if there was ever a chance just for a vacation. I'd have to go back there and train. But I came back and wrestled in the Sunkissed Open and got first at 100 at 50 kilos, which is 110 pounds. I could make the 110. It was that other two kilos that was killing me. That, that extra, I get to 110, I was fine. That other four and a half pounds was like, oh. <laughs> it was like filleting a fish. It was just coming off. It was, I don't know how it was going to come off. And then I made the World Cup team and went to Mongolia and I got dysentery while I was there. And I said goodbye to one. I said goodbye to 105. I said, I'm not doing this anymore. How many times did you actually make the cut to 105 after college? One, two, three, four, eight. One for the Sunkissed Open. One would be two for the World Cup. So that's three. And then the 80, the 92 trials, four times. I tried to make the cut. And I only had to make 110, three of those four times. On the Olympic trials, I gave up my number three seed and went to try to change weight classes to make the team. And I got to 107 and my body said no more. It was that hard of a cut, huh? Well, I started at 145. Oh, Woody Woodburn, stop it. That's crazy. My I was, God. I was, a, I was a weight cutting fool. God. And I heard that Mark Perry was the weight cutting master, man. So you're, you're probably taking the spot there. Yeah, I wouldn't know about that, but I, I, even in high school, I mean, I, the, the high, the lowest weight class was 98 pounds. Mm-hmm. Then mm-hmm. my senior year, I'm returning undefeated state champion at 98 I told my coach I said I'm gonna go I think it's 106 back then or 108 he said no for the team to win a title you need to go back down to 98 and I went holy cow so I pulled from 120 to 100 to back down to 98 pounds man how'd you how'd you get in the sport initially like walk us through your introduction to wrestling it was an accident I started wrestling as a uh, as a freshman I was little I weighed 85 pounds as a as a freshman in high school. Um, I had played some organized sports, football, baseball, um, but I was big into the X Games. I was a big motocross racer, mm-hmm. surfer, skateboarder. Well, I didn't even put it all together until I got older, but all of those sports are the same thing as wrestling. They're individual sports. Mm. And while I was learning these sports, especially like motocross and surfing and skateboarding, I'm learning body kinesthetics. I'm learning how to fall and kind of like gymnastics. And I, I got into wrestling. Just I came out as a freshman. I made the varsity in California. I think I lost three matches that year, but I, I did well. And then I moved to Oregon as a sophomore. And then I met the, my head coach there, Verl Miller, and life just. He changed, he changed the scope of what my wrestling was all about. Why did he say that? Um, it was a phone call I made to him one time. I, I moved to LaGrand, Oregon, up in the Boise Cascade Mountains. And I was undefeated as a 98-pound junior. Well, his son, Little Verl, was also at 98s and was challenging me for the spot as varsity. And I was undefeated. Well... I lost the first match. So now I win the second match. Now we got to come back on Saturday and wrestle the rubber match for who's going to be the starter. And right. I went home. I had a pretty ornery dad who 
said, I can't believe you're undefeated and you can't even beat this freshman. And how are you going to do it? So I basically, I said to myself, I said, I'm done. I quit. And I called Verl, my high school coach. And I said, I quit. I'm done. I'm not coming back tomorrow. I'm not going to make weight. I'm not going to rank your son. He can have the spot. And Verl said, no, you're going to come back. You're going to rank little Verl and you're going to, you're going to see what you can do. I beat him five to two. I got my varsity spot back. I went on to win the state title. I beat his son in the state finals and beat, because in Oregon, you can take junior varsity and varsity. Oh, really? Yeah, you can take junior varsity and varsity if they qualify through regionals. So he was that good where he was second best in the state. Yes. I Well, I beat him 5-2 that Saturday. Then we go to regionals. I beat him in the finals of regionals 5-2. We go to the state tournament. We're on opposite sides of the bracket. We both make it to the finals. I beat him 5-2. Three times, five to two. That changed my life. That phone call that night to my high school coach when I said I was going to quit and he said, no, you're going to come in, you're going to rank, changed the scope of my whole life because now I started talking, I started thinking about, you know, maybe I got a chance I can do something. I had Oregon's, Oregon State's, Boise State's looking at me, but I had my eye on the prize and that was Cal State Bakersfield. How come you went there over like a Portland State where they had a pretty good program? we were originally from California to begin with and yeah. my dad moved basically to help me get better at wrestling. When I graduated, he was moving back to California. So I said, you know, and Bakersfield was known. <laughs> it's so funny. You had, you had the likes of Joe Gonzalez. You had the likes of Danny Questis, Adam Questis, John Azevedo. You had all these Mexicans wrestling at Cal State Bakersfield. And then here comes this little blonde haired toehead white boy. Eddie Woodburn and Joe made Joe, Gonzo made a joke about it. He goes, shit, there goes the neighborhood. Goes, <laughs> white boy wrestling where would you have a Mexican? And so um, I just had my eye on that prize. And then Joe left and went to Oklahoma state and I just followed him. Was it big news when all like when you guys were at the Bakersfield room and I feel like you guys probably had like a trip on your shoulder because you're this division two powerhouse, but you're going to the D ones and, and dominating. So what was the reaction when people said that, you know, Joe was leaving? Did he come in and tell you guys or how did it happen? Well, the first question that came out of most everybody's mind was who's going to be our next coach. And that made the decision whether or not some people stayed and some people left. Hmm. Well, Joe left and he took Jesse Reyes with him. Joe Gonzalez and Tim Vanny went to Arizona State. Adam and Danny Questis moved on with their lives. And so I was, and John Azevedo, I think, moved over to Cal Poly. I was left all by myself. And I was like, this, you know, now who am I going to work out with? Who am I going to train with? Who's, who, you know, how am I going to get better? And uh, I stayed for a year with uh, TJ Kerr. I trained, I stayed for a year with him. I ended up fifth in the division twos. Um, and then the next year, which was my junior year, um, I wanted to go to Arizona state ironically because I wanted to be with Gonzo mm -hmm. and Bobby Douglas. I went on a recruiting trip and Bobby Douglas didn't have any scholarship for me. He had, he had, uh, parts, he had Zeke and just didn't have any, any aid. And so Joe was going to give me some aid and go to Oklahoma state. And so I just, I, I came to Oklahoma state in 85 and here we are in 2021, and I'm still here. 
I was going to ask you, I, I read a press headline that maybe you went to Florida for a year or two. Is that true? Yeah, well, I was going to. Um, I got cold feet. Yeah. I said, that's a big move, man. Someone. I've been, I've been coaching high school for 27 years. And I was going to, you know, I was tired of the pay cut that we weren't making. And, and I was divorced. My sons were grown. And I was like, yeah, I got nothing holding me here. And then I did have something holding me here, my three sons. And my best friend, Doug Chesborough, which is the middle son to Tommy. And so I just jumped ship and said, it was kind of funny. I put a down payment on a house and everything. And I, I called the the athletic director probably a month after I finished up my J-Rob camps. And I said, I just can't do it. I just can't do it. Yo, I hear you. Tell me the J-Rob camp is something I found as well. Tell me about your first experience. Were you a camper? Nope. I never went to J-Rob as, as, as an athlete. Um, about 95 ish, 96. I went and did some, some, uh, technique camps with Jay and I had known Jay. He was originally from California, San Diego. Um, he also wrestled at Oklahoma state and we just, and I had known him. He was friends with Gary Keck. And so we had had a friendship and we had developed and, uh, he brought me in and I started doing some, some technique camps. And then he moved me to some intensive camps and I was still competing. So I used it as a training method. And here I am now, which COVID cut, shut us down last year. Here I am now, almost what twenty-seven years into doing J. Rob. I'm like, I'm like this, I'm like a thought, a figurehead. Just you know, everybody likes to say, "How do you? What do you know when when Woody's in town?" They say, "Because you're going back to one," and it's just the same. Because, and I, and, what's going back to one mean? Oh, it's it's a it's a drill I do with the kids that that I make them do push-ups, and if they do. Now, if I say down and my arm doesn't go down, I, we, we go back to one. And so we call it back to one. And, and they've coined the phrase. And, and I'm, you know, I've just been a part. And I've seen, I've seen all Americans, national champs. I've seen kids that have come through the program that are now wrestling division, obviously division one, you know, so. You're a staple there, huh? Yeah. J-Rob's, you know, I talk to Jay maybe once a month and, you know, we're hoping that we can, we can, we can have this this year's summer camps, but we don't know. Yeah, I hear you. No, it's I've had him on, and man, what a legend! I mean, that guy—he's seen so much. I mean, going to Vietnam, being uh, you know, being in the Olympics in '72 for Greco, driving to Iowa City, and you know, he was a big part of the reason Iowa started their run. Um, and obviously, what he did at Minnesota—incredible. You know. Well, I make I, I here in the last seven to ten years, I make a, I make a, a joke about. It. I said, "Hey, when you walk in the dorms, if you don't want to have to spend the next hour and a half sitting in Jay's room talking to Jay and explaining either why you did this or you didn't do this, you need to avoid his room because he'll go. He, I'll walk by and he'll go. What do you? Hey, I need to talk to you. And then an hour and a half later, I'm I'm like, okay, now. You know, and we used to, now that Jay's gotten older and he's had so many knee surgeries, we used to call it uh, uh, code red when Jay was in the building. So if you weren't doing what you were supposed to, everybody yelled code red and everybody knew, oh, Jay's in the building, start doing it. 
Well, now I, I started teasing Jay. I said, we used to call code red when you walked into Bearman at, at Minnesota. I said, now we call code red when you get to the parking lot because we know it's going to take that long. <laughs> That's hilarious. He, uh, man, I can't believe he's still doing those camps. I mean, it's just insane to me. Um, and really how he all went to Minnesota is because they were pushing him too hard at Iowa in the eighties and some kid collapsed on the Hill. And that's what, you know, got him to leave Iowa and go to Minnesota and, you know, l- lucky for the wrestling world. Cause I think it's better when there's more power programs and now Minnesota still is. Well, is there's up- so much more parity in the division one. I mean, you're talking of the likes of Rutgers, you know, having two national champs here recently, you know, right. Missouri. I mean, they used to be, you know, at the bottom of the big eight, as we called it. But now they're, you know, at the top of the whatever they're in, the ACC or SEC. You look at you look at that, you look at Cornell, um, North Carolina State. I just had Pat Papalizio on the show. They're incredible. I mean, it's awesome. You know, and, and my son wrestled for the University of Wyoming in Mark Branch. The man. I and love so, Mark Branch. And, you know, and I actually ca- taught and coached at Mark Branch's old high school, Newkirk. And um, he'd come back and I'd always want to, you know, we'd always practice in what we call the Mark Branch Fieldhouse. And so, you know, if, if you look around, I don't know besides John, to be honest with you, I don't know how many other coaches can actually say how many head coaches they have at different schools throughout the Division One rankings. You got Pendleton. You got uh, UNC. Uh, Coleman Scott. Pat Papalizio. Papalizio, you got Kevin Ward. You got Ward. You got uh, what? Branch. I mean, now Kevin, uh, Kyle, Ethan Kyle is now at Stillwater High School. He left Wyoming and he's now at, and you know, you got, well, then you had to get Eric Guerrero in there. And so, I mean, there's just incredible. Yeah. There's a, John's legacy will definitely, you know, it'll, it'll stay where it's at. It's incredible because most of the coaches, do better statistically than a lot of Gables guys who went on. Um, you know, I always say that most of the Gables guys usually were so worn out and didn't have a body left that they just kind of went away. <laughs> You're right, though. I mean, the legacy is huge. I mean, even even uh, you know Little Rock, Arkansas, and, and and Pat Smith's legacy there is incredible, just in itself. Uh, you know, um, I you know you mentioned about how Gable. You know, you had Barry Davis, and you had. Um, Dwayne Goldman. Yeah, Dwayne Goldman. Annex never did, but you know, everybody says must be it must be um a treat to wrestle for Gable. And I remember one time in the World Cup, we were getting ready to wrestle the Russians and for the finals. And we had the likes, and we had the likes of Tim Vanny at, at one weight, and then I was at 14, then we had Fisher and we had uh, Penrith and mm-hmm. we had this brothers and bomb gardener and john and gable goes through every weight class tells us what we need to do and, and how you needed to to wrestle your opponent i have a returning world champ and gable gets to my weight and he goes woody i need you to score a point i said a point i said not you're not gonna give me other any other thing i need to do he goes if you score a point the team gets one point because freestyle yeah. you know three to one i said that's all he goes yeah that's all i got for you well, at intermission, I'm ahead seven to four. And he goes, I said, do I need to still score a point? He goes, no, now you need to goddamn win. <laughs> okay. okay. 
And so, you know, and it was funny is the night before Gable had told me, he said, Hey, I want you to run five hills tomorrow uh, after practice. I said, okay. So I ran five hills and I went over to the pizza hut to get some pasta. And I saw coach sitting there by himself and he was so intimidating. You just didn't even want to, you know, to me, he was. Even on the world team, you're thinking he's intimidating? Yes, yes. I'm just, I'm intimidated. I'm not going to stop and say hello. I'm not going to try to sit at his booth with him. The man was, was like he was untouchable. And I walked by him and he put his hand up and he goes, did you run those five hills today? And I go, yeah. And he goes, only five? I said, well, that's how many you said. He goes, how many do you think that Russian ran? I go, I got you. I went back put my pasta in the fridge, put my sweats on and went and ran more hills. That's, that's like his magic. He says a word or two and, you know, can, can get under your skin like that. I want to, I know you don't have much time because of your, uh, uh, your, 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 let me say what time. Yeah. My, my sixth graders are getting ready to come back in. We got it. We're, we're catching Mr. Uh, Woodburn here during his study hall, but I want to ask you this. You said earlier that your dad was probably too hard on you. And I know your son uh, was a multiple-time state champion. Was it Claremore High School? Yes. Yes, at Claremore. I just wanted to ask you, and if they're coming in now, we can cut this short. No, no. I keep my door shut so they know not to come in unless I open the door. Let's wind down with this. How would you describe your coaching philosophy, and how would you do it different than your dad did to you? My coaching philosophy, I have I've, I've taken some from Joe C., which is being a player's coach. I've taken some from Tommy Chesborough, which is don't, don't bite your nose off to spite your face. You know, don't kick a kid off just because he doesn't do what you want him to do. He may not work within that, the scope of right now. Mm -hmm. um, I took a little bit from Dan Gable, the physicality. We may not be the, the most technical, but we're going to be the best in shape. And then I've taken some from J-Rob, which is, the deep finding the inner passion within yourself. You know, I always say this and I've told my, my sons this and I've told other at my athletes this, when you step in that circle, there's one thing you have to do. And there's only one thing and that's turn the light switch on. Cause when you walk in a room and it's dark, what's the first thing you do? Turn on the light switch. When you step in that circle, the first thing you need to do is turn on the light switch. Hmm. And you know, it's a, wrestling is such a humble sport. You know, it, it, can, it, it it's brought me to tears. <laughs> I, I remember the years at Bakersfield. I don't know how many times I went to the outside sauna, Joe Gonzo following behind me, calling me every little word that you could come up with that wasn't very nice. And he goes, so are you going to quit? And I said, yeah, quit. And about 10 seconds later, I'm back in there. I'm like, all right, let's go. <laughs> so, you know, it's a humbling sport. And, you know, like somebody asked me about this podcast. And I told him, I said, you know, I've seen the host of people that have been on this. And I said, I, in the famous words of, of whatever that movie is, but uh, I'm not worthy. I just, <laughs> I'm just not, I don't, you know, I had a, I had a, I had a decent college career. You know, I wish I could have finished with a three-time All-American, but I only, I got hurt my senior year. I wish I could have made an Olympic team, but. You know, but I made three World Cup teams. Right. You know, I got I got to go to Tbilisi. I got to go to Manga. I got to travel the world. I lived in Switzerland for a year. You know, so I had fun. The sport, you know, it changed my life because now I get to give back to my students what wrestling gave to me.
Exactly. That's the cool part about it. And I know we could talk for hours about your coaching because you, like you said, you've been at the, at the high school level, the grassroots level, um, coaching for, for, you know, 25 plus years. Um, and hopefully we can revisit that someday. Mr. Woodburn, thank you for your time, sir. I greatly appreciate it. Appreciate you, Ryan. Thank you. That's the end of this episode. Thank you to our sponsor, Spartan Combat. Please go to SpartanCombat.com to register for their national tournament taking place May 21st through the 23rd in Jacksonville, Florida. To see video clips of this interview, go to Wrestling Changed My Life on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. We'll see you next time.